You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. So thankful for Jesus, amen, that He is good and faithful, even that we're not saved by our faithfulness, but ultimately the faithfulness of another, saved by Christ. Friends, turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're looking at Acts 24, continuing our study of uh, conscience. Now, your conscience is essentially that uh, you could say it's a small voice within you that kind of gets on to you whenever you're headed the wrong direction. Uh, But the thing about your conscience is it's something that God has given all mankind uh, for the purpose of a, a a general morality, essentially enough to condemn us. And the thing about your conscience is if you tell it to be quiet, eventually it will be. So what I want us to look, look for and understand today is that um, we should never tell our consciences to be quiet, but possibly we need to better inform our consciences. You know, when 9-11 happened, the people who carried out that evil deed, um, they thought that they were doing something good. But it's because their conscience were ill-informed by their religion. And as a result, they thought that murdering thousands of people would automatically get them into heaven. And so it's very important that we accurately inform our consciences because your conscience is only as good as the information that it has. And when you get saved, the Holy Spirit still uses your conscience. So as you read the Word, the Holy Spirit enables you to believe it and thus better inform your conscience to where now your conscience is used to convict you of sin, to show you your guilt, so that you might live in a holy relationship with God. But you still have to pick up and read. still have to pick up and read. You still have to inform your conscience. We still have that responsibility to study Scripture. You know, you're, you're not going to feel convicted for something that you do not know is a sin. And on the flip side of that, if you are taught wrongly or if you interpret Scripture wrongly, you will feel bad for things that the Bible doesn't say is sin. Or you'll feel good about things that the Bible says is sin. And so it's extremely important that we accurately inform our consciences. And the way to do that is through studying the Word of God, through reading the Word of God. We're about to come upon a new year, and if you don't read through the Bible... Every year, this is a good opportunity for you to start. The only thing that keeps you from reading through the Bible is you. It's not that you don't have enough time. It's that you're not committed to do it. (laughs) You know, let's just be clear here. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's that we're not willing to set aside the time to read the Word of God through. It's amazing what 30 minutes a day will do or even 30 minutes, five days a week, will do. By the end of the year, you'll finish the entire Bible, having read it all. And so you're able to better inform your conscience, but you have to take responsibility. There are many adulterers and adulteresses who did not feel bad for their sin 
because they either did not know the Word of God or they told their consciences to be quiet. You know, John MacArthur, and I want to encourage you, you can go find John MacArthur did a series on the conscience. I listened to it probably 15 years ago or so. But I remember a... Um, I remember an illustration he, uh, he shared. He said that there was a, uh, there was a, a Spanish uh, man who was flying a plane, some sort of airline delivering goods, and um, they, they crashed, and um, he passed away. And they found the, the little audio recording or whatever of what was going on in the, uh, the cockpit whenever it wrecked. And you could hear the machine... Essentially saying you're too low. I don't know what the terminology is, but essentially you're too low. You're too low, and you heard him. You heard the the man respond, uh, "Shut up, Gringo," and and he flipped it off, and of course he crashed. But that's what happens with your conscience. You tell it to be quiet, and eventually it is. And so we'll learn in later weeks. In a week or two, we'll talk about principles of conscience and how you should always listen to your conscience. You should never tell it to be quiet um, because God has given that to direct us. Now, you can better inform your conscience. But I, I remember whenever I was at, at my last church and in one of my sermons, I can't remember what, what exactly, what text we were looking at. It was probably, uh, probably Moses and his wife. He, he married an Ethiopian woman um, who was not a Jew but who was a Yahweh worshiper. And we were, we were probably talking about interracial relationships. And so I'm in, I'm in the sticks of Kentucky. All right? The sticks of Kentucky. I thought we were country until I moved to Kentucky. And uh, they're, they're even more country than we were. When nearest gas station was seven miles away. Um, but it was interesting. We talked about interracial relationships. And I said, there's nothing, absolutely nothing biblically wrong with interracial relationships. Because there's not. I mean, you, you look at Moses, and he gave, God gave his sister leprosy for complaining about Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman. And um, God is more concerned about you marrying Christians than he is about the skin color of whoever you marry. It's irrelevant. Um, so I preach that, and I've got deacons' wives coming up to me after service, and they're like, you know, I know you're right, and I know the Bible's right, but I still feel bad for that. And what it is, is they had been taught that it's wrong, and thus their consciences were misinformed. And thus, you, you're going to feel bad for things that may not be biblically wrong, and you should submit to your conscience, but we always need to be reading the Word of God to where our consciences can be corrected. It's similar to face cards. Playing with face cards. Has anybody ever been told when you were a kid not to play with face cards? And you kind of still feel bad for it if you play with face cards? I, most of y'all rebelled and you don't feel bad for it anymore. Um, but in my last church, there was a lady and her growing up, you know, she was told, Dude, you're not allowed to play with face cards. And so for, for years and years, she felt bad for any time face cards were brought out. Now, what they meant going back then was, if you're playing with face cards, you were gambling. And often, what, what often went with gambling? Drinking. You were boozing it up. So those two things, it's similar, like Baptists get make fun, made fun of for being against dancing. 
it wasn't that we were against dancing. It was that the way that people were dancing often, I mean, it wasn't that they were arm's length apart. You know, middle school, dancing. It wasn't that. It was the inappropriateness that often came with dancing. You know, John, you've been to those homecoming dances, I imagine. Several of y'all teachers. And y'all know the kids, they dance like this, right? No, you're all, you're like, <laughs> make room for the Holy Spirit, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're getting on to them. But that, that, was the, that was the reasoning behind it. It was and it's similar to, you know, they were against people going to the fair and things like that. But the reason was, is because often there was a lady on a trapeze at the fair who was dressed like she was, you know, well, today. Today you go to... <laughs> to <laughs> Today you go to the beach and there's more cotton in a medicine bottle than there is on the beach. But why do you think that is? Let, let me ask you a question. Why do you think Disney wants to inform your children and your grandchildren's consciences with immorality? Why do you think that there's a national campaign for drag queens to read at local libraries to children? Because they want to inform your children's consciences and your grandchildren's consciences that this immorality and wickedness is okay. Because if they can control your kids' consciences, well, they control the morality of the future. And what is good and decent and moral instead of what is evil, wicked, and heinous sin and perversion. And so we must give our kids the Word of God. This is why we're, we emphasize catechism here. This is why we've been reading it here. We're doing our best to inform our consciences accurately so that we'll be led by the Holy Spirit in our daily lives and we'll not participate in heinous sin. It's similar to the concept of what David says about hiding the Word of God in his heart. Why? So that he might not sin against God. <clears throat> but if you don't hide that Word in your heart, what happens? You're going to sin against God and it's going to be more than if you read the Word and hid it in your heart. And so today we're looking at how our consciences are the highest court of mankind. We're going to start in Acts 23. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to read 1 through 21, 1 through 21 of Acts 24. So if you look at Acts 23, let's read together. And looking intently at the council, <coughs> Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, 
A dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. <coughs> the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So that's kind of the context that Paul was preaching. The Jews didn't like it. They had him arrested. They brought him before the high priest, and they're wanting to do away with him. You know, they're, they're wanting to kill him. Actually, if you read on to this chapter, there's 40 of them that plan to kill him. And Paul had already appealed to being a Roman citizen. <clears throat> he was a Roman citizen by birth. And so he appealed to Rome, which means, you know, the Jews did not have authority to kill. Sometimes they exercised that authority anyways. But Rome ruled the known world in the first century. They were over the Jews, and if the Jews wanted to exercise capital punishment, they had to get Rome's permission to do it. Now, again, they didn't always do that. Paul himself, when he was Saul, had people stoned to death, had people killed, um, actually against Roman orders. But Paul makes this appeal to Rome, and as a Roman citizen, the Jews are not able to kill him. As a matter of fact, if you read on in chapter 23... They seek to kill him, but Rome actually saves Paul. They won't let the Jews kill him. And so he ends up going to Felix, the governor. If you look in Acts 24, let's read together. And this is the first point in verses 1 through 9. We know that our conscience is the highest court of mankind because first, men accuse based on a person's outward actions. And the flip side of that is that your conscience knows your heart. Your conscience, every person who's ever been tried in a trial, the conscience convicts them, or the conscience at least knows whether or not they've done what they're being accused of doing. But the reality is, is that if you're in a court case, they have to prove, or at least that's how it's supposed to be, you're, you have to be proven guilty. But your conscience already knows whether or not you're guilty before the first word is said. So look at Acts 24. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no farther, further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so." And so you see, they're trying to accuse Paul. They believe Paul is a blasphemer. They've rejected Jesus the Messiah, so they believe that Paul is a blasphemer by following Christ 
and preaching that salvation is only found in Christ, which excluded the Pharisees. They had rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so they want to put, they had already killed Jesus, they had already crucified the one that Paul was following, and now they're trying to go ahead and get rid of Paul and actually get rid of all those Christians that are preaching Christ, crucified and resurrected. In verses 1 and 2, you see that the high priest and the Pharisees are there, and Tertullus, that, that seems to be a Greek name, so they, they actually got a Greek to come and represent them before they thought that this might be, you know, Paul's a Roman citizen, they're not. And so they're trying to uh, kind of win over Felix with a Greek. And he begins by praising Felix, and all that's a bunch of baloney in verses 2 through 4. If you know anything about the Pharisees, they plotted with the Herodians numerous times, and they wanted to overthrow Rome. As a matter of fact, when John the Baptist came on the scene, the Sanhedrin, which is the, you know, kind of the religious leadership of the Pharisees, they send spokesmen to John the Baptist to say, are you the Christ? And other times they, they wanted Jesus to lead an army and overthrow. They were looking for a warrior king who would overthrow Roman rule in their lifetime and set up a kingdom. That time, that day, immediately. And uh, Jesus would make statements like, my kingdom is not of this world. That his kingdom is coming spiritually, and it came while he was here. Spiritually, his kingdom began in the first century, and it's still today existing in all of us. Where Christ is ruling in our hearts today. But there is coming a day, and he does rule at his Father's right hand. There is coming a day when he comes and sets up a literal earthly kingdom on earth. And that's what we're waiting on. We're waiting on Christ to return to set up that kingdom. And he lays waste to all of his enemies and saves all his citizens of the New Jerusalem. But until that day comes, we must continue here laboring. But the Pharisees longed for that day. They just rejected the king. Isn't that awful? Imagine being so arrogant, your conscience so misinformed that you don't even recognize the Messiah that your people has been waiting on for thousands of years. Not only do you not recognize him, but when he comes, you spit in his face, beat him, and you have him crucified by a bunch of pagans, which is what the Pharisees did. They brought the King of kings and Lord of lords, who was a Jew of the seed of David on both his mother's side and his earthly father's side. And they brought him before, and they had him crucified by Rome. I mean, it's just, it's wicked all the way around. But Tertullus praises Felix, and then in verse 5, they accuse Paul of being a plague. That'll bless your heart, right? For he stirred up riots. They said he stirred up riots among the Jews throughout the world. And y'all know Paul. Y'all know Christianity is a peaceful religion. I mean, the first century, most of the time they're running for their lives. They're not picking up arms. Now, granted... Whenever Jesus was arrested, Peter pulled out a sword to try to cut a guy's head off. But, you know, he's a fisherman, (laughs) and he only got his ear. And uh, Jesus actually healed the fellow, healed the guy's ear, and told him, you know, not to to carry this out. But the reason why Peter had the sword is because Jesus told him to buy one. So that's interesting. When when folks think of... uh, you know, being a pacifist and, 
and uh, that, that God does not uh, ever want any war or expect Christians to fight in them or to be police officers or you fill in the blank, you realize that he told Peter to buy a sword for a reason. And you go on, you see this accusation, and he says they referred to Christianity as a sect of the Nazarenes because Jesus Christ was a Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth. They accused Paul of trying to profane the temple in verse 6, and they claimed to have kept him from doing it by capturing him. Now, in verse 7 and 8, it's not in some of the earliest sources used by Westcott and Hort, which is what the... So just a brief statement here, okay? So the King James Version uses something called the Textus Receptus, which is a, a uh, Greek manuscripts. Um, and it, you know, the latest copies are right around 1100 A.D. Westcott West and Hort is what the newer translations are made off of, are translated off of. And those manuscripts go back to like 3rd, 4th, 2nd century. So your newer translations, the copies are closer to the originals, often why the newer translations are preferred. But you'll notice that verse 7, if you've got a newer translation, it's pretty strange, isn't it? It goes from verse 6 to verse 8. Um, but the KJV actually has in there more information in verse 7. It says, But the commander, Lysias, came by and with great violence took Paul out of our hands. And then on into verse 8, commanding his accusers to come to you. So it's more historical information there. Thus the Jews encouraged Felix to examine Paul himself and he would agree with their accusations. So we see first off that men accuse based on a person's outward actions or how they interpret those actions. But Paul's going to appeal to his conscience. We know our conscience is the highest court of mankind because the second thing is our conscience convicts us based on our hearts and their internal motions. Their internal motions. In verse 10, when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either, either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which the, these men themselves accept, and there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now after several years I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. Verse 18. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia. They ought to be here before you to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day." So in verse 10, Felix encourages Paul to speak and defend himself, and he does. In verses 11 through 12, he says he went to worship in Jerusalem not more than 12 days earlier. 
He says he did not dispute with anyone or stir up a crowd, either in the temple, the synagogues, or the city. And Paul said the Jews could not prove their accusations. And in verse 14, he says that he followed the way. And if you look in the New Testament, that is how the Bible describes Christianity. There are three references to where people who follow the way, where they're called Christians um, in the New Testament. It's in Acts eleven twenty six, Acts 26, 28, and 1 Peter four sixteen. And so Paul told Felix that he worshipped the God of the Jewish patriarchs, believing everything in the law and the prophets, which, of course, this is all true. And Paul hoped in God that there would be a resurrection of the just and unjust. In verse 16, he makes an appeal to his conscience. He says that he labors to have a clear conscience toward God and man. And so how does Paul do this? Well, he does it by following the Word of God. He made an appeal to one, worshiping Yahweh, and two, obeying the law and the prophets, right? So he says he worshiped God and he followed the Word of God. And those are the two things that are essential if you want to have a good conscience. Again, your conscience is only as good as the information it has, so it's essential that we study the Word. Now, <clears throat> let me just speak briefly about the things that we watch <clears throat> on TV, the things that we choose to read, the things that we choose to take in. Look, it is not inherently sinful to watch something that contains sin in it or to be around a co-worker who is things that, saying things that are inappropriate or vice versa. All right, If you're ever around individuals who are saying things or, or doing things that are contrary to God, it's not inherently sinful to see someone else do something contrary to God unless you are participating in the sin. Because right? you'd have to leave the world otherwise. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was around prostitutes. He was obviously around people who were sinning. Judas was one of his disciples. Right? He, he was around Judas for three and a half years. Um, but it is in how we watch this stuff. Do we watch it as a Christian or do we watch it like someone who doesn't know Christ? Are we enjoying the inappropriate things in the show? You know, all these questions. Are we actually sinning by participating? And not only that, are we having too much of whatever it is? All right, it is possible to have too much of something to where you start thinking, I mean, why do you think that every sitcom you watch that there's a homosexual, now there's actually a transsexual in almost every single TV show? Why? Because they're trying to desensitize our consciences towards evil. I mean, if you ask them, that's why. If you ask people who are making these decisions, that is why. <coughs> a few months ago... Um, there was a, a show called uh, Encanto. Encanto, which was a Disney movie, which is actually a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. Um, but something interesting about it, they had a really, really strong woman on there, young woman, who was probably, she's about seven foot tall. Um, she, she's going around picking up animals, like carrying them one-handed, picking them up. And um, a buddy of mine tweeted about that, and, and they gave her this deep 
masculine voice. And a buddy of mine who's a pastor in Cookville actually responded to that. Now, in previous movies, that would have been an older brother. <coughs> but today, it was an older sister who's doing traditionally masculine things. And uh, it, those decisions are not by accident. And it was, it was funny, my, my, my friend, of course, Twitter's a, a difficult place to talk sometimes. But long story short, there were thousands of tweets responding to him, and they were not happy. They were not happy at all. But he was just pointing out the obvious, that there is this agenda that is clear as a bell to anybody with eyes, where they're trying to desensitize consciences. And we need to buck against that and rather go along with the Word of God. Whenever they try to say things and, and intentionally switch, switch around traditional gender roles and try to make women appear masculine intentionally, we need to respond and be able to point that out. So if you're watching these movies with your children, it would just be an opportunity to say, now is that, is that reality? Does that fit our household or does that fit the Bible? And just point those things out. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy the rest of the movie, but it does mean that we need not let Disney inform our children's consciences. I remember as a kid, <coughs> whenever... Whenever people were so concerned, when I was a child, as a, uh, they were concerned with uh, pollution, rightfully so. And do y'all remember Captain Planet? Y'all remember Captain Planet? Anybody watch that? I loved Captain Planet growing up. Watched it all the time. <clears throat> and for real, it's probably why I still, I mean, I'm a Christian, but um, it, it, it helped me not to litter even as a young man, right? They were, they were constantly saving the planet. Constantly saving the planet. And, um, but our world knows that the way, to, the way to get to our children's hearts and the way to implement their morality is through pop culture. And I, I will say this. Our parents were more right than wrong. Our grandparents were more right than wrong whenever they had a negative view of television. They were more right than wrong. Because now we're, we are rarely cautious about anything. The number one show in the world was one of the most filthy that has ever been produced for public consumption. Game of Thrones. Number one show in the world, X-rated. Consciences have been desensitized. And now people, Christians even, are voluntarily putting things in front of their eyes that we know God absolutely hates. And so we need to be careful what we're permitting to be put in front of our eyes and things that we're willing to listen. And if we do participate in shows that are contrary to God, we need to watch them with discernment to where we are not adopting these contrary things. Because you know as well as I do that the way that society portrays it 
you would think that in that half of America is either homosexual or trans. And it's a much smaller percentage. Last I look at it, it's on the rise because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It used to be about 5% of the population, whenever I was writing my dissertation, fell into that category. And now it's exponentially growing because it's praised. And anything your culture praises, your children will grow up and want to be praised. And that's what we're seeing. A little leaven is leavening the whole lump. And so we have to be aware of that and be aware of what we put in front of our eyes. The Apostle Paul says the reason why he has a good conscience is because of the Word of God and worshiping Yahweh. And those are the two things that need to dominate our lives. And that needs to be what we, we literally build our lives around. Worshiping God and His Word. Those are the two things that literally... Everything needs to be built around that. That's why we're having worship on Christmas Day. It's the Lord's Day. That's why we're worshiping. I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to come and worship because it is the Lord's Day. Whether that's Christmas Day or not, it is the Lord's Day. So if you worship Yahweh and read and believe His Word, your conscience will be holy and it will be able to accurately accuse us and convict us when we get off the mark. When we fail to be obedient to God, our conscience will prick us. However, however, these Pharisees who were accusing Paul also had consciences that were convicting them that what they were doing was right. And so ultimately, how do you know the difference between a good conscience and a bad conscience? And the answer is the Word of God. If your conscience is in lockstep with the Word of God, it's good. If it's not, it's wicked. It's evil. It cannot direct you accurately. So we must inform it accurately. This happened... Do you remember when Peter got up at Pentecost and he's preaching? Now this is the same Peter who abandoned Jesus denied that he even knew him when he went to the cross. Well, now he has seen the resurrected Christ and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he has this boldness that he did not have before. So he stands up at Pentecost before thousands of Jews, not caring if he's going to get executed, not caring if he's going to die. He just wants to preach the good news. So he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, you've crucified, and you put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So he's preaching the good news to them. He's quoting Old Testament prophecies, saying how Jesus fulfilled, him, fulfilled them. And then in verses 37 through 39, when the hearers hear this, it says they were cut to the heart. And that's often the phrase, what are they saying? Their conscience convict them. Well, why wasn't their conscience convicting them before? These are probably some of the same people who were shouting, crucify him. These are probably some of the same people who stood there while Jesus was murdered. So what has changed? Well, now they have believed 
And their consciences have been informed by the Word of God that the Apostle Peter has preached. Well, now their conscience is ready to accurately judge them and convict them. Because they've heard and believed the Word of God. So now they're cut to the heart. What must we do? And Peter and the rest of the apostles, this is what they say. They say, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And so they hear the truth. They're cut to the heart by their own consciences. And they ask, what must we do to remedy this guilty conscience? And to have clean consciences, they had to repent. They had to turn from their sin and be forgiven by Christ. Trusting in Him. Publicly identifying with Him through baptism. And they would receive the Holy Spirit. And so if our consciences are accurately informed by the Word of God, then when our conscience does not accuse us or convict us, that means that no one else can accuse us or convict us either. Because your conscience is the highest court of mankind. It knows you're guilty before anyone else does. It knows your thoughts. And sometimes it knows you better than you do. And so we always need to submit to our consciences but we need to make sure they are informed well by the Word of God. And so by Paul appealing to his conscience, being clean, he was appealing to the highest court of mankind, for his conscience knew his heart, and our consciences know our hearts as well. You know, if we're going to have clean consciences, ultimately what we need is Jesus Christ. And praise be to God for Christmas, that God gave His only Son so that our hearts, our consciences could be clean. Friend, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, and your conscience is convicting you for sins that you're tolerating, sins that you're committing, I want to invite you to respond this morning, to respond how God may be leading, to come to Christ and trust Him to clean you up, also, I want to encourage you Christians to read the Word of God. Pick up and read and study God's Word so that you may live in this world for God's glory in such a way so that you're not worldly. So that we don't go along with the tide of the world or the wave of the world. We have to pick up and read and study this book and put it into practice so that our consciences will convict us, will convict us and mature us into the likeness of Christ. As Brother Kenny comes, I want to invite our musicians to come, but let's respond how God may be leading here this morning. If you want to come pray, come pray, but let us leave here different than when we came in. Let's all stand and sing together. I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing. I persevere to the end.